It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday evening, and that means we've made it to the NBA All-Star break, and I don't know about you, but I could use a, uh, a nice vacation from the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and, and whatever other drama that would pop up on any day in Sixers land. So we're going to take the opportunity to talk about two of my favorite things in the world, my alma mater, West Virginia University, and your town, your team, your Philadelphia Union, and joining us on the line, we have a very special guest tonight. Former West Virginia University men's soccer coach, Marlon LeBlanc, who has a very talented son who now plays in the Union Academy. Marlon, thanks for joining. How are you doing? Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be on with you. Absolutely. So we had a, a brief interaction on Twitter a couple weeks ago. There was this video that the Union were sharing uh, showing the U-12s in Brazil, and uh, they were they looked amazing on this video, scoring great goals. Great link-up play. It looked like an advanced uh, professional team out there. And there was an audacious chip uh, for one of the goals, a left-footed chip uh, from a narrow angle. Great goal that kind of caught my attention. And I found out that that's your son, uh, Kellen, who's pulling that off. So I guess uh, as a father, that makes you pretty proud to see your son uh, go viral on a video like that, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, people were asking me, did you teach him that? And I said, absolutely not. I don't know where he got that one from, but... uh... (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that's Kellen. He's uh, on an incredible U-12 uh, group that the Philadelphia Union has. Um, that group actually won the GA Cup, which was all the MLS uh, U-12 academies down in Atlanta United back in November. Um, but that's an incredibly talented group that Kellen's a part of, and um, the whole reason uh, that we're all here in Philadelphia now. Well, he looks like a great player, and I appreciate how your Twitter feed is basically nothing but your son's highlights. Um, and I, I was able to watch some of them. He's a really good player. He's got really good talent. I like how uh, I like how he seems to. Uh, what I noticed in all the clips was that he gets the ball and he seems to know what to do with it. He's got great speed. Uh, he's left-footed, and uh, he seems like he always plays with a purpose. That's my uh, that's my scouting report of Kellen. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um... You know, I think uh, Kellen's been lucky enough to have kind of grown up as a, as a soccer player and, and been around uh, my teams at West Virginia since the day he was born. But um, he, he's been given an environment to really express himself in, um, and I think it's brought out the best in him. Um, but he, he's an attacking player. He's left-footed. He loves to go to goal. Um, and in, in Brazil was really... Uh, because I think a lot of what the union did in terms of marketing the group and, and putting videos out was really kind of a coming out party for him. Um, but he, he's done quite well here uh, with this group. He's, he actually plays most of his time as up playing with the U13s um, mm. and that group and, and playing 11 aside, so this was a little bit different for him. But he had a fantastic tournament. Uh, they played two tournaments down there, and he was named uh, player of the tournament in the first one. Um, and and the team finished second and, and lost to Vasco da Gama, which is a top club in Brazil, uh, in the first one. And then they went down to Porto Alegre and finished third in that tournament. But over the entire uh, 22 games that he played, he scored 27 times. So he knows his, his job is to go out and score and create goals. And, um, and, and I'm really glad that the union have allowed him to, to continue to express himself. But he, he's an attacking player and... Um, he, he, he looks like he's having fun, but he 
certainly does have a lot of fun when he's playing, and that's important to me too. So you moved back to this area. Um, was it solely just to accommodate him playing in the academy? Take, um, take, take us through why you decided to leave West Virginia and how you ended up uh, uh, where your family is right now. So interestingly enough, it's a great question. We were actually in January of 2018, we started taking him to Columbus and he was part of the Columbus Crew Academy playing two years up with their U-12. Okay. But the whole, with the whole chaos with the crew uh, wanting to move to Austin, Texas, uh, there was no more funding for the 12s and the 13s there. So we were left in a situation where, okay, well, we can't drive back and forth to Columbus anymore. What are we going to do? Um, so my wife started bringing my son back and forth to Philadelphia starting August of 2018 to, to play in the academy here. Um, but by the end of the school year, finished, should probably keep it a little bit quiet, but he missed about 48 days of school. Um, Jeez, yeah. So, yeah, it got a little crazy. Uh, so in August of this year, they or August 19, uh, they relocated here uh, to Philadelphia permanently. My wife grew up uh, in Ben Salem, and so her brother and her whole family was pretty much in this area and set up shop with, with them, and he's been here ever since. But, you know, a big part of kind of investing in, in this move and sending him over here is that at the end of the day, he's still just 11 years old, and, and he needs his father. Um, and so to give him the best opportunity to come out here and make the most of, of why he's here, it's important that he still has his family unit intact. Uh, that goes a long way towards his development as well. So, um, you know, we tried it for, for two years, a year and a half, two years basically being apart. Um, but it came time to kind of reunite the family, which is uh, at the end of the year, I decided to come out here full time. So what what are you doing, Marlon? Have you decided on, uh, are you going to keep working? Are you going to keep coaching in this area? I'd like to. I think uh, I finished up at the end of the year and then went straight to Brazil for 17 days. So uh, just now, we got back last week and just now kind of settling in and putting out some feelers and trying to see where I could maybe uh, hook up. Um, I think anything is on the table uh, and everything is on the table. Um, but I do know that it is a priority to want to be around my family a little bit more. So uh, we'll, we'll, you know, going to take my time and, and kind of find the right spot. But I love coaching. It's what I do. And um, right now I'm getting to do it with my son on the side. But mm-hmm. um, I'd like to definitely get back into it uh, full time at some stage. I find your story interesting, Marlon, because you know you coached at West Virginia for fourteen years, and even if you if you go back to your time at Penn State before that, I guess it's what probably close to twenty years, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, now you have a son who's in an academy, and I, I guess the irony here is that you know college soccer is kind of at a crossroads in a way because you look at the the way that you know, young kids are becoming pro in the United States these days. Like you look at the Philadelphia Union didn't even use any of their college draft picks over the last two years. Um, right. So I'm kind of curious as to just kind of where you, where you see that as a, as a longtime college soccer coach, you know, who now has a son in an academy. What, what's kind of the, the intersection here between sending kids professional through the college ranks versus, uh, you know, doing it the academy route? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great point. And literally I was in discussion with someone earlier today. Um, We've come full circle with the way the, the pros have, have gone. You were talking about, you know, nine, ten years ago, they were, the, the collective bargaining agreement had the reserve salary in the low 30s. And, you know, with the, you saw the announcement earlier, uh, it was either this week or then last week, with the new collective bargaining agreement and what the minimum salary is going to be. And, yeah. and back then, they were talking ten years ago, everybody was coming through the draft. And, you know, this past year, they only had, you know, 
two rounds of the draft, and everything's changing. It's gotten uh, far more uh, is being invested into the academy approach um, with the attempt at, you know, essentially eliminating how college is going to affect things. You're still going to find players of the college ranks, without a doubt. However, it's not going to be the number one resource. And so um, my pitch has always been to chase the education, chase the education, because you know, the professional lifestyle isn't going to be for everyone and not everyone's going to make a living off of it. Um, they're trying to curb that a little bit. We're still never going to, I don't know if we'll ever be where Europe is in terms of, of, of salaries and, and longevity, mm-hmm. but um, it's a different route. The academic side is still going to play a, play a, play a, a, a place in, in how the evolution is going to go because at the end of the day, this country is still rooted in uh, academics and, and degrees, but um, I think if you have a talented young player who, who wants to make it, uh, they're going to need to go through this route. And, you know, it's up to us as, as parents to give the best advice as we possibly can. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, the, the educational piece can still be a part of it as you move forward. And I think MLS and, and the union in particular are trying to make sure that academics is a piece of the academy, uh, the growth. And so, uh, to be honest, I'd be lying if I didn't say um, that, not a factor because it is still a factor, but yeah. uh, the school piece that does allow these kids to go to school and continue to play was was a big factor in, in choosing Philadelphia as well. So when you, you know, the funny thing to me is like I look at the union passing on all their draft picks over the last two years, and then when I look at the roster, uh, you know, fifty percent of their back line is guys that came through the super draft, and they came yeah. they came from your program. So I was just I'm just I'm interested in how that makes you feel when you see a couple of your guys uh, that came through Morgantown who are playing for the union now, and then they say, you know what, we're we're good, you know, we got our academy guys and we're happy with that and we're going to trade all our picks away. <laughs> I, I take a lot of pride in now having develop helping develop three players for the Philadelphia Union uh, <laughs> team and one in the academy. Uh, but no, listen, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, those guys get all the credit for ending up here. I just happen to be, you know, a facilitator of an environment that allowed them to grow and, and to and, and to be good enough to, to make a roster here. Um, it's it's not easy, and I think, listen, the two that have made it at the Union have done unbelievably well. You know, Ray is all-time minutes, appearances, games played, games started. It's, it's incredible mm-hmm. um, that how, how he has the longevity and what he's done with Philadelphia, and and Jack only came in and and you know set set uh, MLS uh, on fire with his rookie year and and last year obviously was one of the best defenders in the league and so those kids those two in particular I, I for me to take credit for their development would be a disservice to to, to them um, I, I think if anything the, the part that I'm proud of and. and is that we were able to create an environment where kids can, can continue to develop and maybe slip through the cracks that can come on late later in their careers. Now, uh, is that can that compete with what the academies can compete with? Probably not. Um, not 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 from top to bottom uh, for, for for sure. But yeah, um, I think that uh, you know the, the college game has flaws and it has flaws in, in development. But there are good coaches out there um, that make college work and there are good coaches out there that can produce players that are capable of being pros um the union did a really good job of of, of scouting and, and trusting judgment and, and looking at these players a little bit 
uh, a little bit more. Um, but I think the club philosophy and is is to develop from within. It makes sense when you're investing all this money into your academy that, of course, you want those to be the guys that come through. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it, I, it, I'd be hard-pressed to argue with that philosophy. It makes sense. Um, I think it's, it's up to the college to make themselves relevant, and it's up to the college game to, to you know, continue to unearth players that maybe um, aren't being picked up. Uh, but I think more and more that's probably going to happen more internationally than it's going to happen domestically. For sure. Um, let me ask you first then about Jack. I, because uh, I've played center back my entire life, I would like to start at center back. Um, I, I think the thing that impresses me the most about his game is that he always, uh, God, how would I put this? I, I think he just reads the game very well. You know, he seems to always an- to anticipate what's going to happen. And I, you know, like I rarely see him out of position, you know, and even if he is out of position and it's, I mean, you look at a guy who's like six foot five and you think he's slow, but he's really not because he's got long legs and he's got a great stride. Um, but I've just always been impressed with kind of with his ability to kind of read the game and see what's coming. Um, what, what do you make of where he is right now as a professional? Exactly. You know, Jack's not the strongest. He's not the fastest. Um, but his brain clicks at a faster level than most players. Uh, he reads angles well. He reads the play of the ball well. Um, he's a soccer player first. Uh, it's funny. I went over. It took me. I was in England less than 24 hours when I watched Jack play and, 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 and made him an offer to come to West Virginia. <laughs> uh, he, I flew over on an overnight flight to, to London, got off the plane. My assistant met me picked me up because he had already seen Jack. We drove over, watched him play in a game that morning, um, and I was literally out of the country on the next flight home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you could see it. You could really see what he had. And we actually played him as a center midfielder at first when he first came in. Right, right. Um, yeah. Because he had and, and played him like a, as a sixth and his ability to read the angles and read the game, and then he kind of developed into the center back position. But um, Jack is is. is First and foremost is he's a soccer player. Uh, and number two, he's super technical. The guy can ping a ball 67 yards on a rope. Uh, his passing is fantastic. He breaks lines with passes. And when you're not the biggest, you're not the strongest, and you're not the fastest, there's one thing you better be. It's better be, you better be technical, um, and you better read the game well. And he does those things very, very well because um, he's always going to come up with come up against guys that are that are stronger and faster um but his ability to see things and and watch it develop and and technically to handle anything with the ball is what separates him from from most do you um think that that his path to mls is something that maybe the college game could kind of grasp onto in 2020 you know these guys who come over from europe you know, maybe they were passed over by academies over there, but they have an opportunity to play in college over here. You know, you've seen his story. Uh, Jack Harrison, I guess, was with uh, uh, NYCFC. Uh, Fabian Herbers went the same route, too. I mean, if, if, if college is kind of up against some academies right now, do you think uh, you know, trying, to, trying to look for more Jack Elliott's might be a good path to go down? Yeah, and you're seeing it more and more. You're seeing even some of the bigger schools uh, – in terms of the soccer tradition to uh, schools, your UVAs, your Maryland's, your UCLA's, those guys are going overseas more now and looking into the academies over there to bring players over. Yeah, um, it, It's going to happen more and more, the evolution of where it's going. Um, and I think that's the path where, 
you're going to see college going now is a lot of the, the top programs, um, you know, looking overseas. And it's a bit of a challenge with the kids here, especially with the top kids here, because a lot of them are getting signed very, very late in the process, too. Yeah. Um, so you could be playing an entire recruiting class around two or three kids, and then all of a sudden one or two of them disappear um, because the last minute they get signed to homegrown, especially through the MLS system. And now you're without players heading right into your season. So, yeah, I think you're going to see that more and more, and, and I think that's probably where college maybe has a lifeline with producing pros. Is A lot of these colleges have big budgets, and they can travel, and they can go and see place players. And, and you have alums who have eyes on kids, and they're coming from certain programs and pipelines that are being built through the college system that um, maybe some of the pro teams don't quite have yet. So mm-hmm. uh, it's still a resource. I think the colleges are also a resource for a lot of the players pro scouts i still get calls all the time and text messages what do you think of this player what do you think of that player um because maybe maybe those guys don't have eyes on those kids um i think part of that comes from the fact that you know we have put some players into the league and 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 gain some trust and some value with some of those guys but um yeah more and more you're going to see guys like like jack maybe come over and maybe win a spot but um you know it's funny jack jack never got any type of recognition uh, in his four years at the college level. We couldn't get him on the first team of the league. We couldn't get him <laughs> any type of All-America status, but the kid could play. Um, maybe lack some of the physical tools that some of the other center has have, but at the end of the day, he came out, you know, uh, came out on, on the right side of things, and the union did a pretty good job of, you know, picking him up late. And You want to talk about value for a pick. Yeah. Not too many that are going to be better <laughs> than that one. Well, I... I mean, why do you think he dropped as far as he did? Like, why, why do you think he slid through the cracks and that maybe he wasn't identified the way he was? Well, I think the international status, number one, right? Because with the roster build and the roster makeup. True, yeah, yeah. Some places don't have, don't have a spot for an international. I think that's number one. Yeah. I think number two, it's still a league that is probably more predicated on on physical attributes than it is on soccer. Um, and, and perhaps when you look at some of the bigger, stronger, faster center halves, uh, y- y- you'd rather take a chance on that kid than, than, than maybe a Jack Elliott. But I think if you give Jack more than a glance um, and you put him in your team and you start really watching him, you start to really appreciate what he can do and, and who he is and what he is. And, and that's probably now the scouting part of it, right? Where yeah. maybe you go to the combine and you only see a kid play for that weekend and you don't really get a great picture as to who and what they are. But watch it watch one of these guys play over the course of the season maybe have a little bit of a different picture and i think the union did did that with jack it wasn't just about that one weekend yeah um they'd seen they'd seen quite a bit of them and um yeah i mean the kids kids a footballer for sure and he's <laughs> unbelievably well there uh, let me ask you about ray and uh ray is a guy that we've talked about a lot on this podcast um i've always found him to be a very steady stable reliable defender um i think his offensive game at this point in his career could probably probably be a little bit more polished and more advanced than what it is um you know a lot of that too and i think the thing to point out with ray too is that he's he's had a very interesting career in the fact that he, he came out as a right back he plays right back then he goes over to left back then he wins the right back job again and then they put him back over to left back and he's kind of bounced around his entire career so i give him that um you know, he's played for like multiple coaches. He's been here longer than anybody. Um, I'm I'm curious as to where you, where you see uh, where you see his game right now, and where you see him right now. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Ray is a defender first, um, and I think it's pretty um, 
easy to look over at Kai on the other side, see him getting forward and getting assists and, mm-hmm. and, and creating opportunities. Um, but I think one of the things that as maybe as fans or as people who watch the game that we don't know is what we don't know is what the tactics and what the, the demands are yeah. for him and what's being put on him. Um, at the end of the day, there's a reason why he has probably played the most. Well, he's not probably. He's played the most minutes, played the most games, mm-hmm. has the most starts. There's a reason why. Um, and that reason has nothing to do with him going forward. Otherwise, we probably see him with a lot more goals and assists. It has to do with what he does defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something to be said for stability. There's something to be said for perhaps balance in a team and maybe allowing somebody else to do something without the worry of having to defend. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, maybe it's Elsino on his side who you don't want to have to defend. So <laughs> get the ball to Elsino and let him go at people and attack, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and maybe Ray gives you the flexibility of doing that where maybe if Elsino is on the left with Kai getting forward and now there's a turnover, you know, what's going to be the result on the other side of the field? And so right. I think a lot of times we just look at it and we say, oh, we want the attacking right back, we want the attacking right back. But Maybe the Union don't want him to attack him right back. Maybe they want Ray to stay home and, 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 and defend. I don't know. I don't really yeah. talk. When I talk to Ray, I don't really talk much about soccer with Ray. We talk about family. We talk about, you know, Kellen. We talk about, um, you know, how his parents are doing because I feel like he probably talks to enough people about soccer than when he talks to me. <laughs> we, we try to avoid that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that at the end of the day, um, sure, would we love him to go forward and get more assists and, and create more things offensively for them? Sure. Um, but, you know, he has, when you like you said, how many people, how many coaches, how many technical directors, how many sporting directors has that guy been through? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, still put him on the field. So um, there's there's value for what he does. I know the, the Ray that I know is the most consistent person that, that you probably ever come across. Like, the guy puts it all out there every single day. Yeah. Um, handles challenges. You know, you had Shannon Williams here. You had Keegan Rosenberry here. Um, yet Ray is still out there, you know, putting the effort in every single day to, to, to give the union some stability and to give them a player that they can consistently count on to give them exactly what they know they're going to get from Ray every single game. There's something to be said for value from that as well. Yeah. Um, and so I'm awfully proud of what, you know, the professional that he's been. Um, and I think, uh, I think the union have done really well to get the most that they can possibly get out of Ray to see him be as successful. Um, he's going to be in that ring of honor one day. There's, there's no doubt about it. I don't know if anybody would have guessed he'd have been there, but he's, his name's going to be up there with Latou and those other ones when it's all said and done, for sure. Let me just ask you a short follow-up about that because, I mean, J- Jim Curtin has said, and Jim was a professional defender, too, he said straight up, like, look, we, we see our fullbacks as defenders first. You know, they're going to defend more than anything. And, um, you know, when you, when you have a guy like Harris Madunian who is not a traditional number six, I mean, really, he's a deep-lying playmaker, a great distributor, great possession guy but he's not going to put in a chunky tackle or win the ball back or anything like that. Like, you know, obviously that changes what you ask of the guys around him. So, um, you know, Ray, of course, stayed back, put out a ton of fires last year and the year before. Um, I, I mean, it's, and this is a theoretical, but like, you know, if you're playing with a more traditional six this year, playing a four, four, two, a more pressing style, this more German style. Um, I, I mean, it seems to me like there might be less responsibility on him uh, playing next to a, a more of a traditional kind of six. Yeah, that's that's possible too. Um, 
you know, I, if I, I'd be lying if I said I watched the Philadelphia Union play every single game the way you know you guys have. Yeah. Um, from from what I saw last year, I'd probably agree with you in terms of you know Harris in there and 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 how the team was built around Harris. Um, with a traditional a traditional six who's a ball winner, then yeah, you could look for a traditional six who could cover your fullbacks, right? When they yeah. do go forward, yeah. Um, I think that's what you would typically see out of a traditional six as a as a as a fullback gets forward, sliding over to to cover that gap and to cover that space. I don't know if Harris was the guy that could give the, give you that. Um, maybe the the roles change a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they ask Ray to do more of that going. Uh, going into the season, yeah. the traditional six. I'm interested to see the, uh, the new guy that, that plays that role for them. Um, you, I think tactically, I, I guess what you said, Jim said, probably jives a little bit with what I'm saying too. It's like defenders are defenders first, and and that's a lost art if you really think about it. And you know, like the defender who is, likes to defend, the defender who likes to tackle, yeah, the defender yeah. who, who likes to get back and 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 and, and snuff out buyers. Today, the the, the modern fullback, even center backs are, are attacking players, right? But um, there's something to be said for Virgil the Van Dyke who wins everything in the air and tackles everything that moves. Yeah. So like yeah. those those guys are throwbacks to 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 hard nose hard nosed backs that never get beaten. And um, listen, Arsenal, which is my team, could go for a fullback that could actually defend for the first time <laughs> in ages too. But <laughs> they're like shadows on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's very it's a long but it's very true. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. And I mean, especially like you have kids growing up now where, you know, what, what videos make it to Instagram, you know, it's, it's techers and it's goal scoring and stuff like that. Like people back in the day weren't growing up saying, I want to be Gennaro Gattuso when I get older, you know, but it's kind of like that lost, lost art of like, I, yeah, you need to defend first, you know, or else your fullbacks turn into like glorified wingers. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Um, one more quick question. Actually, two more quick questions for you. I just got to ask about your 14 years at West Virginia. I only spent four there. I loved it. You know, I'm a mountaineer for life. Uh, just what did you make of your experience in Morgantown, and uh, what, what, do you, what do you think looking back on it now? Yeah, unbelievable people. Um, better than I could have ever expected it. Longer than I probably ever expected to be there. Um, the relationships, the people, I think, when you think of West Virginia, I grew up in New Jersey. I had the same kind of predisposition to what I was walking into, nothing like what I thought I was walking into. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest places uh, I've, I've ever gotten to spend time. Um, I literally rushed home tonight to, to put on the uh, West Virginia-Kansas basketball game. <laughs> I texted Bob Huggins a couple of days ago. He texted me back. Like Those relationships that I've, that I've built uh, in that community have, have been the best. Uh, the kids that I've come across, the, the work that we did, uh, the raising of the profile of the program, it, probably some of the most satisfying years of my life. It was my first head coaching job. Um, and, you know, it was uh, it was made better just because of the people there. And, you know, if anybody's listening to this podcast and thinks about West Virginia and, and, and doesn't think the most of it, you got to go and visit because I'll tell you what, it's, uh, I've got nothing but great things to say about my time in, in Morgantown. Amen. And we've got West Virginia up 30 to 24 on Kansas at halftime right now. So we'll hope it stays that way. There we go. Marlon, I got one more, uh, one more for you. Um, and this is a question I ask every 
former player, every former coach, current players, whatever that I have on the podcast. Um, when it comes to the media and when it comes to fans, um, I'm, I'm always interested in a, in a coach and a player perspective. Is there, is there one thing or something that the media and fans spend too much time talking about that you think is overrated? Or is there something, a storyline, a topic that's underrated that you feel like we should be spending more time talking about? Well, I'll give you an example. Like when I asked some former union players, like uh, Ryan Richter, for example, said, you know, I, I, I want people to understand how hard it is to go from one position to another. Like he was a right fullback who played a little bit of right wing back at a time. And he's like, look, there's, it's difficult to play different spots in different shapes. You know, just because I'm a right-sided wide player doesn't mean it's going to be easy for me to play 3-5-2 versus 4-4-2, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd say this, you know, I watch a lot of games, and I find myself, well, in, particularly when it comes to Arsenal, right, uh, criticizing everything Arsenal does. Um, and then there's some moments where I check myself and I go, wait a minute, that's probably what every other fan does when they're watching me coach my team. Um, I think one of the things that maybe we forget about is when we look at this team, when we look at the union play on the home opener evening, and everybody goes, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? There's a reason why a coach makes a decision. There's a reason why a technical director makes a decision um, that we all, we don't know the insights to. As, as pundits, as, as viewers, yeah. as fans, right? That there's a reason why we select Ray Gaddick to be our right back. There's a reason why we select Jack Elliott, Harris Medugin, and doesn't always match up what we think as fans, the way the picture's supposed to work, but there is a reason behind it. And I think one of the things that's hard to do as media and as pundits and fans is to recognize perhaps the intricacies that go into the everyday and what you're seeing every day on the field. What maybe we're not seeing in regards to, is that player healthy? Did they take a risk with them using them? Did they decide not to use them? Mm. There's so much that goes into things that we miss that we always end up criticizing that perhaps if we had a different viewpoint, a different picture as to what's going into the everyday, that we would understand better why decisions are made. Um, it's not always the coach's fault. It's not always the player's fault. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of luck that goes involved that maybe didn't go their way. Um, but everyone sees, what, sees things one way, but I think when you're in-house, you're on the field, in the day-to-day, you see things a little bit different, differently, and I, I think if we could all take a step back and, and maybe have an appreciation for that side of things, that, that perhaps uh, we would look at things differently, but you know, this is Philly. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it is. We do the same thing with the Eagles, we do the same thing with the Sixers, the Flyers, <laughs> right? Like we, we, we have our mind made up and it's hard for us to get past it. I just watched that all for, uh, all or nothing on, uh, on Prime with <laughs> yeah. the Eagles and you, you see it there too. Yeah. Uh, that's the one thing that we probably, uh, we don't have a great perspective of. We have our, our perspective from the stands and don't really think about maybe the day to day. Well, that will be that's a great answer, and that will be my challenge to Philadelphia Union fans to try to watch this season with a little bit of uh, a little bit of nuance and uh, and we'll we'll think uh, more pragmatically instead of with our we'll, we'll think with our brains instead of our hearts a little bit more. Uh, I don't know about that one, but yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Marlon, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, congrats on a great uh, fourteen years at West Virginia, and uh, your son Kellen looks like a really really talented kid. Uh, keep those videos coming on uh, Twitter, and if he does any more audacious chips, 
uh, we'll be sure to make sure those go viral too. Oh, thanks for having me on, Kevin. And, you know, it was a great 14 years. Not too many coaches get to walk away after winning a championship, so that was a good way to walk away too. And That's right. Happy there. There you happy go. Happy Kellen here. He loves it here. Marlon LeBlanc, former uh, head coach of West Virginia. Marlon, thanks for coming on. We'll do it again, all right? Thanks, Kevin. Take care. All right, we're going to continue with your questions, comments, and concerns. But first, I have two podcast announcements to make. Number one, uh, I hinted that we may be doing some kind of event uh, coming up for the home opener, uh, which is on March 14th. Uh, There will be an event at the Larimer on 314. So mark that on your calendars. I can say there will be an event there uh, on 314. It will be, at the very least, a live podcast, and maybe it'll be something more than that. How's that? Does that sound fair? Uh, We're working on something a little bit bigger. That may or may not happen, but I can guarantee that we're going to do at least a live live show at the Larimer on 314. Everybody who came out last year... um, Super appreciated that. I think it was really fun. And, uh, you know, we've got a built-in, you know, stage there, a brewery, a a forum, you know, a perfect place to do this podcast. So we're definitely going to do something from there on 314, and I will uh, let you know more details when we can get that finalized, right? Uh, Number two, I um, mentioned that I wanted to kind of do a charity thing uh, in the last podcast. I got a lot of good feedback uh, on that. I appreciate everybody messaging me about that, saying that they were interested. So what I'm doing here um, is I have a piece of – uh, always soccer apparel uh, that I'm working on with the design is done. Uh, the order has been put in. And uh, I think what I want to do is just, I want to make that available to all of you. Uh, and if you want to purchase this piece of apparel, um, I'll take 100% of the donations. And how about we do this? How about we split it? Uh, we'll give half to Starfinder and we'll give half to Kensington. And that can be like the one, you know, super cool, nice charity thing that we do this year. I would love to do, uh, you know, like one um, charity thing, you know, with uh, all the all the people listening to the podcast, maybe we can all team up and do like one cool charity thing um, once a year. We'll start it off this year uh, with this apparel thing that hopefully I can get finished soon and uh, hopefully we'll have that available and we'll take 100% of the profits, 100% of the proceeds and we'll split it between Kensington and Starfinder. How does that sound? Sound good? Uh, if that sounds good... Uh, send me a message and we'll definitely do that. Um, all right, let's get to your questions and your comments and your concerns. Uh, sorry if I'm, if it sounds like I'm talking weird, I'm talking at a very low volume right now, so I don't wake my daughter up. Uh, we're going to start with union Hulk who typed this all in capital letters as he normally does. Kevin Dino, Jim, Jim said there were roster spots to fill. Who's coming. Also remember that inside contact that you had last year who said the union want to make some big swinging dick signing like Mario Balotelli. Uh, do you think the union still want to do that because it makes hulky moister than swim trunks? So yeah, I, I have not heard from the mystery uh, union source in a while. Maybe I'll try to reach out to them and contact them. Um, I don't, I don't think they want to do that kind of move anymore. I, th- I think, Marco Fabian was kind of what it was. I don't think they got as much out of that as they thought. Uh, so therefore, you get guys like Oravets, Martinez, and uh, you know Glessness, who are you know kind of more obscure guys. They pay a little bit in a transfer fee for them, um, but they're more the money ball kind of signings that we thought. You know, so uh, I think that's more of the direction they're going in now. And I think like a Balotelli thing, even though everybody blew that out of proportion last year, I don't think a Balotelli type of move is on the radar. 
Reading United AC, uh, checking in from my old stomping grounds of Berks County. The great Berks County. They said, how good was this brand refresh from Reading United? Yeah, you know what? They completely did uh, redid their logo. Uh, it looks fantastic. It still has the train uh, in it, but it's more of like a, how do I describe it? It's more like a cool circular design, whereas they used to have like the keystone on there. But they just sharpened it up and they made the locomotive look pretty cool. It says 1995 on it. It's got the, uh, I think they have like shamrocks, there's like shamrocks or clovers or something on the side, Reading United AC. It looks really cool. They did a nice job with it. Um, Ezra. Uh, Ezra says, which of the Union squad will be the first to shush their home crowd? Yeah, God, this was a nightmare dealing with the whole Embiid and uh, the booing and <clears throat> Brett Brown and all this nonsense. It feels like they're on a roller coaster of emotions every week. It's just one Sixers thing to another Sixers thing. <laughs> I feel like we've like gone back and forth with these guys like uh, every week for three years now. Uh, the first to shush. I mean, it would definitely be a Bedoya, don't you think? Alejandro Bedoya would be the first to uh, to turn to the Union crowd and say, shut the fuck up, right? Uh, but again, like the uh, Sixers, it would probably come from a place of, uh, you know, you are clapping at me. Uh, I'm going to clap back at you. And then it's all good. You know, I think like I would I would say the same thing about Union fans booing a Union player and then the Union player doing something demonstrative back towards them. I would have the same answer about it, that situation as I did with the Sixers, which is just to say, like, uh, look, the, the crowd, if you think about it, crowds only really can communicate with players in one way. You boo poor effort and you cheer great effort, and that's how you talk to them and tell them they're either doing a good job or a bad job. And, you know, if we're going to dish it out, if we the media are going to dish it out or if fans are going to dish it out, then we should be able to take it too. I mean, it's only fair that, you know, players can come back at us and tell us to shut our mouths when they're doing well. But, uh, you know, like Embiid said, it's all love. It's all good. And, uh, you know, I think if there's ever that kind of situation with the, with the union, it would probably be the same thing, you know, uh, a couple questions here from silver Ray. Uh, we have the extra cash now, uh, to burn on the roster even more. So now with the new CBA, uh, are we going to eclipse the $9 million that we spent on the roster last year? Uh, 17th in the league, uh, hint, we're not there yet. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you're going to, uh, eclipse that. I, I think people should be satisfied with the f- couple of transfer fees that they paid this year, because that was always, you know, people used to send me that graphic where it was like, well, the union are right in the middle of the pack and spending. So how can you complain about, uh, you know, the money that they're using? But the, the problem is that they were never paying, they were never paying transfer fees. So that was always kind of where the difference was. You know, I've said it like a million times on this podcast, but Atlanta play, paid more, in one transfer fee for Barco than the union had paid and have paid in transfer fees over 10 years. So that was like an important bit that was being left out there. Uh, when will we get our third DP? I have no idea. I don't think that person's coming. Uh, and are all the eggs in the imbizo basket for right back? No, I mean, they played Ray today, Wednesday in the uh, Cincinnati, um, friendly that we didn't, uh, that was closed to the public. So we didn't get anything from it, but Ray was the starter. I think he had Elliott next to him. I think McKenzie and Wagner. Uh, God, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It was Orvets, uh, Aronson on the left. They had Montero playing as the 10. Uh, he got the number 10 jersey this week, and they played him as a number 10. Well, tip of the diamond, number 10. Bedoya on the right, Santos and Shabilko. So I think that was kind of, you know, a couple, you know, we're only like two, more, a little more than two weeks out right now. So that what you saw today, uh, Wednesday, that lineup is probably pretty close to what you're going to see come the season opener, you know? 
Uh, Richard Saunders says, uh, did the U sign a domestic striker uh, and or right back like a Dom Dwyer? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think they're kind of pretty much set, though. You know, Rich and I went over the depth chart last week, and I think they like what they have. You know, Santos, Shabilko, and Vooten is a pretty damn good trio, you know. Um, so I think they're pretty pretty solid there. Uh, right back, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, we got to see Mbizo, uh f- what he can do before you say that he's the next best thing or that they should sign somebody because, I mean, if they sign another right back now, uh, okay, Gaddis, then what goes to the bench, and then Mbizo, what? We never ever really got to – had enough of a sample size to see if he's good or not. Uh, Big Mac says, any rumors or thoughts on possible additions to the team? You know, not really unless they go th- – third DP route and decide that Montero at the 10 is not really going to be the thing. And they kind of pull him back to playing as a shuttler. Everybody's favorite word, you know, Montero on the left, Bedoya on the right, Orovets behind them. And then either if Aronson goes and plays the tip or they say, you know, we're going to fill out the third DP spot. We're going to get a number 10, you know, go, go look for another Fabian kind of player. Maybe um, he also says, what the F is up with the union's TV situation? God, I have, I have no idea. I have no idea, but that's concerning, isn't it? There's no, t- there's no TV deal announced. We're like 17 days out. Like, what the hell are they going to do? I don't even know why the PHL thing is not happening again this year anyway. I should read more of what Tannenwald had to write about that. Maybe I can – maybe he'll have to come back on the pod, could do an emergency podcast, explain what the hell is going on with the TV thing this year. Um, it was disappointing that Comcast was not interested in continuing that a couple of years ago. Uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia, I'm sorry. You know, if you think about it, like, isn't it kind of depressing that – uh, you know, they're interested in putting their money into the wings, the fusion, the whatever the fuck other sport that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, soccer, right? You know, I mean, they get the fusion arena up there. The wings are playing in Philly and, you know, we're stuck in Chester still. So I don't know. It's it's concerning, though. I don't know what the hell is going on with that. Um, Jared says, uh, why does everyone associated with the men's national team keep acting like not qualifying for the World Cup was minor and the team is in a good spot? Um, he says, I know it's not a union topic, but Arena's com- Bruce Arena's comments annoyed me, uh, and I see they annoyed you. Yeah, Bruce Arena coming out and like saying that the media was making too much of a big deal about them not qualifying for the World Cup. So, like, look, I mean, I know Bruce Arena speaks very plainly and very bluntly, and we appreciate that uh, that about him. So let me speak very plainly to Bruce Arena in return. It It's an absolute massive failure for the United States to not qualify for the World Cup. It's a travesty. It's embarrassing. There is absolutely no reason why the United States should not be qualifying out of the hex every four years. I mean, he brought up the fact that the Netherlands and Italy didn't, make it to the world cup either but you know the netherlands was in a group with france and a good sweden team and they came in third place italy came in second in their group and they lost to sweden in the knockout stages so they're going through the gauntlet of uefa all right there's absolutely no reason us being the biggest country in this region you know getting blasted four to nothing by costa rica losing in trinidad and tobago is absolutely inexcusable like this is not you know, you play to win the game, as Herm Edwards once said. You know, the, the United States men's national team should not have rebuilding years, okay? The best programs in the world uh, do not have rebuilding years. When's the last time the Alabama Crimson Tide said, well, we didn't, you know, 
make it to the SEC championship game, whatever. Like, they have massively high standards every year. Atlanta United comes in. They have huge standards every year. You know, if you are a top program, this is what you should strive for all the time. And for Bruce Arena to come out and say this nonsense that he did is just totally out of character for him to say, like, the media and fans are blowing this thing out of proportion. It's absolutely embarrassing that they were not there for the World Cup. And, uh, I mean, how much derision and how much bullshit did they take when the women were doing really, really well last year? I mean, all the jokes were like, well, the men suck. You know, the women are amazing and the men suck. Like, come on, you shouldn't want to live with that. I'm not saying, like, create some, you know, uh, competition with the women, but, like, you put yourself, you set yourself up to be mocked year in and year out now because you weren't, for four years at least, because you weren't able to qualify. So, yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I I didn't get those comments at all. Um, over under on uh, DeVries playing 600 minutes um, good question I will say under um, just because I think like you know if they're going to play him as a forward uh, I'm trying to think of where the minutes would be coming from you know because they're going to have Santos and Shabilko and then Vooten's going to come in I mean if one of those guys is injured maybe he gets in front of uh Michigalina and gets in there I guess. I don't I don't know. We'll find out. Um Matt uh bracelet thrower. My guy bracelet thrower who's a heavy metal guy. Uh he says, "Do you think Jacob Gleshness listens to black metal?" Uh, if <laughs> if so, which band is his favorite? Uh and I've got an idea for a future segment with an extremely limited audience, the Philadelphia Union Players as metal bands. That's a good one. Maybe I'll write that down and I can keep it like, uh, you know, uh, somewhat surface level uh, so people can understand it. Um, But yeah, Glesnes is Norwegian. Uh, Norway, of course, is where all the black and uh, death metal uh, bands famously came from. (laughs) So I I hope so. My answer is I hope so. I hope he does listen to uh, listen to Mayhem and Emperor and Dark Throne, what's another one? Immortal uh, came from there as well. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of really good uh, heavy metal bands that came from Scandinavia. So maybe we'll maybe we'll have to get him on the podcast and we'll talk about center back technique. Uh, we'll talk about the Norwegian league, and uh, we'll ask him if he listens to Norwegian black metal. Uh, Mike says, defensive mid-aside, the Union seem to have more continuity going into this season than in the past. It seems like they can build off of last year better than ever. How much of an edge does this give? What can they build on to take a step forward, and where do you see them in the East? Well, it's a good point, right? Because, I mean, Santos is back. Shabilko's back. Bedoya's back. Aronson's back. Montero's back. The entire backline and goalkeepers back. I mean, really, if you think about it, they're only really replacing one starter, right? You know, or if that's for, for Madunian in, but because Harris was such a focal point of what they did last year, I, I wonder if Mike's point is kind of, you know, if, if the amplification of losing just one important piece makes the continuity thing kind of hard to, um, hard to like guess if that's really going to be how it is you know it's like you know if the lakers uh or i'm sorry if the sixers brought back four or five starters but the one starter was not joel Embiid, surely they'd look a, like a lot different team you know what i mean so 
Um, I don't know. Maybe that's me just overstating Madunian's contributions to the team, uh, but stylistically. But I, I think, uh, you know, like the Bob Huggins and John Beeline thing I brought up last week, I think you're just going to look at kind of like a, a, a shift from half Ernie ball and half Ernst ball from last year. I think it's going to be full Ernst ball uh, this time around. Where do I see them in the East? See them like probably fourth or fifth this year. I don't know why. It's just like a hunch I'm getting. Uh, Giants dumpster fire says, uh, is this a do or die season for Andre Blake? Um, I mean, in do or die in what way? You mean like it's a make or break, like it's he's got to prove something or else he goes to the bench or they move on or something? I mean, I think he's pretty much established as their goalkeeper, their number one goalkeeper. I don't, you know, I think the ship has sailed in transferring him or turning him for a profit at this point, even though goalkeepers have longer careers and you can sell them later in their careers. You know, it's not like once somebody gets to age 27, you're never going to sell them for profit or however, however old Andre is right now. But, uh, he's definitely got to play better this year than he did last year. It'll be interesting too, because he's going to be asked to do more with his feet and he's going to have to play a little higher up. You know, the, the center backs are probably going to be a little bit higher, uh, this year. So they have more of a gap in between. So that's something to keep an eye on when we actually do get to watch a preseason game. Not the other one against Montreal the other night where I don't know what the hell was with those kids uh, sitting on the bench who would not stop talking. <laughs> I, had to, I had to put the thing on mute to watch the rest of it. Uh, Dr. Strange Dupe says, for the union to have a better season than last year, blank player will have to have an MVP type season. Um, It's a good question. I would say Montero. Yeah, I would say Montero because I don't, you know, I think the onus on, well, number one, they paid the $2 million transfer fee. There was a big, you know, uh, a lot of pageantry about him re-signing and you know, the symbolic nature of him re-signing as Rich and I talked about last week. Um, so I think there's an onus on him to kind of step in and fill the creative void, possession void that Harris Madunian invacated for sure. I think there's a lot on Jamiro to come in and prove that he's – Hey, he's not just here on loan for a cheap salary. Now he's going to be a high-paid guy who had a high transfer fee, and there's going to be expectations of him. So I think he has to kind of control the midfield. Um, Jacob responded to that question. He said, Santos, Sergio Santos. Yeah, I think so too. Um, he's He has something to step up and prove for sure. I mean, I think Bedoya is what he is. I mean, we know he's always going to play steady, play well. Uh, Shabilko, I'm interested to see whether he falls off a little bit without, you know, a, a, the amazing service and the amazing midfield they had last year. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would say, I'd say Santos and, and Montero are probably good answers for that question. Uh, David Bennett says union legend, Mario Balotelli for the ring of honor. I agree with that. Uh, Chrisafi, John Chrisafi says asked on, um, VFTB, the Views from the Bridge podcast. Uh, thoughts on Ernst regularly being able to find diamonds in the rough? Uh, everybody talks about Kai, and I get that. Uh, but how much is it sometimes you really get lucky uh, and find one versus Ernst has a knack uh, and legit connections to reliably recruit that kind of talent? Yeah, no, it's a good question because, I mean, we keep we keep beating the Kai Wagner thing to death. And we say, well, you know, I think differently about their signings this year because they made an amazing, had an amazing find with him last year. And that's a, a great, it's a valid point. But yeah, to, to John's point, yes, it's only one player. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I mean, if Ernst pull, if Orovets turns out to be a player, if uh, Brujo turns out to be a player, if Glessness turns out to be a player, okay, then he's four for four instead of one for one. 
you know, because I think Ernst got a lot of credit for the Jamiro signing when we learned that Ernie put him in the scouting system to begin with, you know, so I don't know how much credit you can really give Ernst for that. And I think uh, Albright, I want to say, scouted uh, Sergio Santos and had a hand in that. So, yeah, we do, we do, we do need a bigger Ernst sample size, but I think my concerns are a little assuaged uh, just by what, what we saw with Wagner last year. Uh, Mitch says, thoughts on the expansion teams in Nashville and Miami? And their roster builds. Uh, yeah, you know what? I didn't really expect much from Nashville, but I'm, I'm kind of like not that impressed by what Miami is doing. Um, I think they just signed the Mexican guy for, uh, or the guy from the Mexican league for $12 million, uh, Pizarro. Uh, so that's a nice move. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's like David Beckham, you had like all this talk of like, well, they're going to sign like Cavani and, you know, maybe Luis Suarez will want to come here at some point and will Messi and Ronaldo <laughs> retiring in Miami. I don't know. It's just. I think with all the hubbub that was surrounding that team and how much they bent over backwards to finally get that thing through and get that thing approved, uh, get the team approved and get it all signed and sealed and delivered, I think I just expected a lot more out of it. But we'll find out. Um, oh, and he says, any thoughts on the Inter Milan trademark situation? I mean, the fuck is Inter Milan worried about? I mean, all these teams sound the same anyway. I mean, there's everything's an SC or an FC or an Internacional. There's like inter. There's like 15 Internacionales out there anyway. So, is that really any different from Internazionale Milano? I don't know. I I wish Miami would have been a little bit more creative, but I don't think they need to be sued. You know, it's like whatever. Uh, Fear and loathing in Chester says, "What do you think of four four two uh, four two two two? Uh, when Ilsenio comes in, who plays where? Yeah, I think Rick and I tried like trying to kind of go through this a little bit. Well, look, I mean, if you if Ilsenio playing on the right, uh, say you got Santos and Shabilko up top, you got Ilsenio playing on the right. Uh, maybe you got Bedoya playing on another side, and then you got Montero and Orvets. I, I just don't think like empty bucket really makes makes a ton of sense because I mean, like, you know, who who are your two holding guys? Is it like? Jamiro and Oravets is a Brujo and Oravets. I mean, like, yeah, you got interchangeable pieces here, but they they can play this like you know numbers game in the center of the park, and they can you know have numerical advantages with you know guy with like like we said last time. There's almost like five guys on this team who could play as an eight. You know, if you think about it, Cole Turner is one, Jamiro two, Bedoya three, Brujo four, Oravets could probably play that too so you got like five guys who could kind of like choke it up in the middle of the park there so yeah i don't know four two 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 i'd be interested to see how they do it if they do it uh eric says you should open up with the fourth chamber oh sorry i didn't see that i uh maybe we can close the show with fourth chamber we'll do that um matt says uh does disney plus include espn plus uh the marvel series and union games would be a solid one too um you you can get the all you can get the bundle now. You can get Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu. I think for uh, twelve ninety nine a month. Like I think if you just get ESPN Plus, I think it's like seven ninety nine or like six ninety nine, like seven dollars a month. So uh, like if you got a girlfriend or a wife or a kid or a spouse or a significant other, you might as well just do the bundle. Yeah, you because know, you get the Disney stuff and then you get Hulu with it too, and they can watch like uh, Handmaid's too. James says, which homegrown do you think will break out next? Oh, God, I don't know. I'd like to see, I'd like to see more of Fontana. How's that for an answer? Uh, Pretzel Life says, will Gaddis play every minute of the 2020 campaign? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think Mbizo will get some games. Uh, 
We'll see. I think I'm most curious about that position going forward. Like we were talking about with Marlon, I, I kind of want to see how Ray looks uh, with a different number six next to him. You know, I think like like I was saying, you know, Keegan looked a certain way with Brian Carroll next to him, and then Keegan looked bad with Madunian next to him. Whereas Ray, I think, looked good next to Madunian, but not so much with with Carroll. You know what I mean? So uh, Trey says, "Do you want to hang at Les and Doreen's?" Uh, yeah, but only on Saturday night because you can do karaoke and you can get spicy time Thai. There's a couple guys who rented out the kitchen there since the kitchen wasn't being used. Lesson Doreen's is a shitty corner bar, like two blocks from me. Um, it's just not shitty. I shouldn't say that. It's a it's a nice neighborhood fish town bar. Um, Rich says, uh, should Union 2 go to USL League 1? Because uh, USL Championship at Talon won't work forever. I don't know. I'm going to reserve judgment on that now. i got to kind of see how this plays out and how the team looks. Brendan Burke will not be coaching the team this year. Uh, they have another guy coming in. Brendan Burke is going to be like the head of recruiting, uh, whatever the hell that means. So I'm interested to see how that plays out as well. I'm going to reserve judgment. Maybe I can answer that better on another podcast. Uh, Yang Gang Banger says, I hope the Montero number 10 is only for a numbering purpose and not uh, signaling where they plan on playing him. He was not his best uh, when he played the tip of the diamond last year. I will say the union should sign Allberg. Uh, for depth if Aronson plays for national team games. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th- I just think that um, – I think Jamiro's got the chops to play the number 10, but I really like him as an eight. You know, I mean, like, you got a good thing going there. And, uh, I mean, I think if you put a gun to my head and said, like, give me your starting lineup for the season right now, I think I'd have Jamiro playing as an eight. And I think I'd have Aronson at the tip. But, uh, you know, they're going to interchange. They'll play different – they'll play both spots probably this year and – uh, you know, eventually they'll kind of like it'll kind of flesh out, and we'll see like what what makes the most sense. You know, uh, last one from Luke. He says, if you could shed light on the new CBA uh, and what it could mean for the union, that could be cool. Um, yeah, I mean, so they, I mean, they got free agency down to uh, twenty four years old and five years of service. So, uh, right, twenty four and five. So, like, if you entered the league at age nineteen and you played five years, then you'd be good. You'd be good to go. I mean, before it was age. God, what the hell year was it? Was it 27 years old, 28 years old, something like that? You had to have like eight years. It was ridiculous, you know? Uh, but that was a stepping stone five years ago to get to where they are now. Um, you know, they got more money. There's going to be charter flights um, phased in, more charter flights incrementally. Um, I mean, it was a, I think it was a good contract for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't have all the details like right in front of my face right now, but I, I just get the feeling too that like the players had a lot of leverage and uh, they probably could have got... Maybe leaving a little bit more. Um, I'm interested to know if they threaten to work stoppage at all because, like I've said before, I just feel like, uh, you know, you're going in with Miami and Nashville this year. I mean, you don't want to dick them. MLS doesn't want to dick them over with a work stoppage. And so the players could have really leveraged that to get even more probably. But, um, you know, they're going to redo allocation money and kind of streamline that to make more sense. But obviously it was a step in the right direction. I, do, I just think they could have been more a bigger hard asses about it and said, like, look, we got some leverage here. You got some expansion teams coming in. You got TV deals. Like, we ain't going to play. You know, your move. So give us age 22 and three years of service, you know? So I don't know. Maybe that's me being unrealistic. I'm glad we're not going to have a work stoppage. But uh, here we are, a couple weeks away from Philadelphia Union soccer. All right. So there'll definitely be an event at the Larimer. There's going to be something happening at the Larimer on 314. I'll try to get the details about the charity thing going down. Uh, episode 99, we'll have to do something special for 100. If you got any ideas for uh, episode 100, 
Uh, we'll do that. I'm going to drop off the grid for a little bit because I'm going on vacation next week. And uh, I'm going to leave you with uh, the Jizza uh, playing Fourth Chamber, or Wu-Tang Clan uh, Fourth Chamber. But I'm only going to play about 30 seconds of it uh, because I don't want to be sued.